Welcome to the Ginghamsburg Podcast. After today's message, take a second to download the Ginghamsburg app. It's the best way to find out about and engage with what's happening at Ginghamsburg. We hope the following message helps you activate your faith and take the next step in your journey with Jesus. Good evening, good evening, good evening. Merry Christmas. I welcome you this evening to those online, those who are here. I, I have a prayer. I have a prayer tonight. It's a prayer for you that you may experience in a new and powerful way the love of the Lord Jesus Christ on this holy night. For it's Christmas Eve, and it doesn't get any better than this, right? Amen. Well, before we begin tonight, allow me to say for the person that's been praying for a white Christmas, you can stop now. You got it. (laughs) But this is a special night, and thanks for coming out here and being part of our services. This actually, combined with the Ford, it's our fifth service of the night, and we have even another one. But I'm super excited to share. I know uh, many of the kids were in earlier services, and I asked if any had visions of sugar plums dancing in their heads tonight. (laughs) But one of the things that I love about Christmas Eve is hearing from the kids. And just to get us in the listening mode for a teaching tonight, I want to share some fun letters to Santa from kids. I hope you'll enjoy these as we get started this, this evening. Here's one. Dear Santa, there are three little boys who live in our house. There's Jeffrey, two, David, four, Norman, seven. Jeffrey's good some of the time. David is good some of the time. Norman is good all of the time. I am Norman. (laughs) Here's another one. Little girl wrote this. Dear Santa, last year I asked for a new baby brother. This Christmas, I want you to take him back. Love, Susan. And finally this, dear Santa, you didn't bring me anything good last year. You didn't bring me anything good the year before. This is your last chance. Love, Albert. You know, the crucifixion of our Lord took place in the afternoon. The resurrection of our Lord took place in the morning. But Christmas always takes place at night. And Tonight, we are wrapping up a teaching series that we actually started way back at the end of November, and we journeyed through the season of Advent, preparing ourselves for this night. We entitled this teaching series that some of you have been tracking with us all these weeks, Christmas Playlist, where we have been looking at some of the favorite songs of Christmas. We've been talking a little bit about their history, but then we've been looking at the scripture that's inspired them, and we've had a lot of fun. We started way back at the end of November with What Child Is This? We looked at Joy of the World and several others, but tonight we end with the carol, O Holy Night. O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Now, before we look at Scripture, allow me just to share a little bit about this song and some interesting facts. How many have heard, and I think that most would say yes, the song or familiar with the song, O Holy Night? I mean, you can hear Mariah Carey or Celine Dion or some other great singer singing in at Walmart or Myers and Inglewood over the loudspeakers. I heard it on the radio this morning, and we're familiar with that song, 
right? And the words are powerful. I mean, you'll be in a public space and you'll hear these uncompromised words like Christ is the Lord, oh, praise his name forever. Well, did you know that that song, Oh Holy Night, was the first song broadcasted on radio? It really was. Very interesting. The night was Christmas Eve. December 24th, 1906, up until this point, only Morse code had been heard, but an assistant to Thomas Edison, Reginald Fennington, a Canadian, built a new transmitter that was able to project the human voice. So what would be said, the first words on radio? Well, they were words from the Bible. He picked up a New Testament, turned to the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2, and he read it, and then he put the Bible down, and he picked up a violin, and he played the French carol, O Holy Night. One key line in the first verse that strikes me is, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. Ever heard that? A thrill of hope, the weary, and certainly That spoke then and certainly speaks today. We live in a weary world. How many tonight, if you're really honest, you'd say, wow, I'm tired. I'm worn out. We think about the hustle and bustle of Christmas and all the activities and the frantic here and there and pulled here and here and here. But even this snowstorm, I mean, it's been tiring it's been weary. It's been scary. Coming up 25A for me from Vandalia tonight, this morning, was, was kind of rough. And I'm knowing we're all going home. And so, you know, it's stressful. There, there's tension. And we live in a world that's weary, especially the last three years, journeying through the pandemic. And we're still weary. We're weary here in the Miami Valley of domestic violence, of drug abuse, of chemical abuse. We're weary of civil unrest and racial division and divisive politics. Aren't we tired of that? We're weary of all of that. And during this time of year, uh, we have more uh, alcohol consumed than any other time and alcohol abuse. There are more suicides during the Christmas season than any other time. And more marriages break up after Christmas than any other time of year. We live in a world of stress, of tension. Here's what I want to say to you tonight. I want you to hear this. So did they. So did they. The couple. The Christmas couple. Mary and Joseph. They lived in a world of stress. They were political prisoners. They lived in a land that was dominated by foreign troops of a foreign government little bit similar to some parts of Ukraine tonight regarding Russia. They lived in a country that was occupied by an empire. And the Bible says that during this time, Caesar, the emperor, Augustus, decreed that the world should be taxed to fuel the Roman war machine. And so a census was to be taken of the entire Roman world. And Joseph, being of David's family line, of the house and lineage of David, had to return to his hometown, to David's hometown, which was where? 
Bethlehem. David, the shepherd boy, had grown up in this small Judean village of about two to 300 people. By the time of Christ, it was a suburb of Jerusalem, about six miles south of Jerusalem in the desert. It would be from like here to Troy, so not far. And it was the place that supplied the bread for the big city, for the capital city. The word Bethlehem in Hebrew literally means house of bread. And so Bethlehem consisted of a lot of bakers and millers and a few shepherds and at least one carpenter family. And Joseph was to go back and to register for taxes. Taxes are not a fun thing. I mean, how many of us love April 15th, right? It's a time to party, right? Write your check to Uncle Sam, fa la 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 la. No, we don't sing that, do we? It was a time then and it's a time now of stress and tension. And they, the the Bible says, left their town of Nazareth and journeyed 80 miles. It would be like going from here to northern Kentucky, but not on I-75. It was not a beautiful drive through even the mountains like the Pacific Coast Highway with little quaint bed and breakfasts along the way. Instead, it was a dangerous journey with animals and, and bandits. They would typically travel in caravans. It would have been about an eight to 10 day journey. Not journeying in a nice little Lexus uh, convertible coupe with leather interior. <laughs> the only leather that Mary would have been riding on if she had one would have been a saddle of a donkey. She was nine months pregnant, right? So she would have felt every bump. And then she and Joseph made their way to Bethlehem. And Luke simply says in verse seven of chapter two, there was no room for them in the end, meaning no vacancy. Doesn't really elaborate, it just says no room for them. I love the story of the little boy who was so excited about the church Christmas play because he wanted to play Joseph. And then he was told that he did not get the part and he was so upset, he threw a fit. He said, if I'm not happy, nobody's going to be happy. You ever met someone like that? And so he got the part of the innkeeper and they said, well, this is a great part too. And you have this line to say, no room here. And he he just thought to himself, we'll see. So it got to that place in the play where he was to say his one line when Mary and Joseph made their way. And instead, when Joseph knocked on the door and asked for a room, he said, oh, we've got a lot of room in here. Come on in. Take your pick. Now, Joseph, he was quick thinking, little Joseph. He went, he said, Mary, you stay here. He went in and quickly he came back out and said, Mary, this place is a dump. Come on, we're going to the barn. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's probably not the way it happened, but I love that. Actually, the Greek word, New Testament was written in Greek, that Luke uses here is the kataluma for in. And the kataluma in a Jewish home, a typical Jewish home, would actually not be like the Hotel Six or Holiday Inn. Think guest room or guest loft. And that makes sense. If a family was traveling to their hometown, if you're going back for Christmas, many will typically go to family members to stay overnight in the guest room. But the Cataluma, the inn, was not occupied. Perhaps there were other relatives there for the census. 
And so they were given the stable, the barn, which would have been in the back of the house or a cave underneath or beside the house where they would keep animals, a place where they could get away from it all. Now, we don't know the exact details of that, but from history and archaeology, that's our best understanding. There was no room in the Cataluma or the inn, verse 7 says. But that was not a place of peace. That was not a place of quietness. We sing silent night, holy night, always calm, always bright, but in reality, always chaos and nerves are tight, right? Think about that barn, animals, noise, filth, smell. You could have found that place in the dark if you were downwind. Push, pull, tension, stress, and then he showed up, the baby boy. Yeshua, Jesus, the one who saves. Emmanuel, he's called in Matthew chapter one. God with us, as the prophet Isaiah wrote of him, that he is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Check out with me Luke chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Into Joseph's world, into Mary's world, into your world here in Miami County, Jesus brings peace. But that peace that Jesus brings to us is not a peace of this world. He even described it later in John when he said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, John 14. Not as the world gives do I give to you. He says, let not your hearts be troubled and neither let them be afraid. The peace that I'm giving to you is a peace that passes all human understanding. This peace undergirds whatever you're going through. Even if there's a storm in your life, I'm going to give you a peace that's going to bring you through this storm, bring you through this trial, and it's greater than what you could even imagine. Because the truth of the matter is, real life happens. Cancer sometimes still happens. The marriage still may fall apart. You may still lose your job. That's life. Some people are ready to give up on God because where was God at when all this happened? God never promised us a utopia. Mary and Joseph lived in a real world. And the peace that Christ offered was much greater. It was eternal peace. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks. In the middle of this dark time, a light shines from Bethlehem. And then I love the next line. The Worship team, they stood up. Remember when they stood off the stools and they started really rocking it there in that song with all the different carols? Fall on your knees. I love that. I have a special, powerful voice. I sing that out. It's, it's out of tune, but I at least try to belt it out. You know, fall on your knees, fall on your knees. The message of Christmas is a message that God is with us. Amen? But the question is, are you with God? Have you come to the place when you've fallen on your knees, 
where you acknowledge the babe in the manger. Yes, God is for us, but are we for God tonight? We can be. We can come to the place where we say, Lord, I'm tired of living my life Frank Sinatra style. For some of you who are old enough to know who that is. <laughs> my way. Because my way is going to mess things up. Instead, I want to follow your way. I want to come and kneel at your manger. I want to kneel at the cross. If anyone be in Christ, listen, he or she's a new creation. The old is gone, the new. Amen? This good news has come. That all of our past, must I live with it forever? No. Because of God's work for you on the cross, we can be at peace. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 5, I am justified by faith, therefore I have peace with God. Do you have that peace tonight? Do you sit there with the assurance of faith that you know, no matter what storm is going on around you, there's a peace within you can I invite you to come to Christ tonight. Christmas Eve can be the greatest night of your life. But secondly, not only do we take that peace, but we are called to be peacemakers. Jesus said, blessed are the peace wishers. No. Blessed are those who simply sing kumbaya and hope for world peace. No. He said, blessed are those who make peace, who take the initiative here in just a little bit, we're going to pass light. That's always a special tradition here at Gingensburg Church. We're almost there. Just hold on. I promise it's coming real quick here. We receive that light, and our faces are now aglow with our own candlelight. But we also pass that light. We give it to others that this whole room then is lit for God's glory. We share that light to others. Luke chapter 2, 17 and 18 says of the shepherds, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. It says they spread the word. Here's my point. The manger comes with a mission. I want you to think about that. The manger comes with a mission. Fitz summed it all up and Dan on stage when they said, here at Gainsburg Church, we love Jesus, but we don't want to stop there. We don't want to stop there with just feeling good and, and having a pep rally here on the stage. We want to do something about it. We want the world to know. We want Miami County to be a better place for all the people. We want to be active and engaged and we're called the, the manger comes with a mission. And that's why we're involved with our 501s. That's why we're involved in Clubhouse. Because we believe the best in young people. And so we want to provide tutoring that they may seize their opportunity. We want to raise up young leaders, right? Here in Miami County. We, we want to invest in New Path and, and all the ministries that extends from that beautiful Witness from the food pantry to the car ministry. That's why we give to New Creation Counseling Center because we believe there's hope for people. We believe that people can be delivered from whatever anxiety, whatever struggle, or maybe just walk alongside people to see their full potential in Christ. We believe in that. And so we wanna not only say what we believe, but we want to also 
live our lives in a very practical way. And even to people we'll never know in this life. Have you ever thought to yourself, I do all these things, does it really matter? Am I really making a difference? And sometimes we never see the fruit of that. I just want to encourage you because the ripples of your work are making a difference long-term that you may never know until you get to glory. Let me tell you one more story and we're going to go home. It's a true story and it's a personal story if you'll allow me to share that tonight. I discovered that really true a few years ago. A backstory is that my father was a little older when he had me. Not too old. Today, I think he was young, but he was 36, going on the next month, 37. But he was an older dad than some of the other kids in my class who had fathers um, that were younger. And I was born in 1968. But in 1955, at 24, he got out of the military. He served during the Korean conflict. And he came back to Ohio. And he got a job as a single 24-year-old Catholic boy. He got a job as a prison guard working at the old Ohio penitentiary. Anybody remember where that used to be? It's not there anymore. In downtown Columbus in the arena district today. And my dad in his first year, now think about the stress of this, he was assigned as a guard on death row in the death house. And it was overwhelming for him. For one year, he, he lived among the residents there who were condemned to death and got to know many of them. And so he asked for a transfer from the state to go back home and live with his parents at 24 in Perry County, Somerset, New Lexington, east of Columbus. And so they transferred him as a guard to a small medium security prison, Junction City prison that's no longer there, where they put him in a watchtower. He said it was the most boring job he ever had. But then a few months before Christmas, the warden, John Snyder, came to him and said, Bill, we've got a special job and opportunity for you. We've all decided that we want you this year to be the director of the prison's Christmas pageant that's put on by the residents, by the inmates there. Now, my dad wasn't musical. He wasn't really talented in that way of leadership, but I think no one else wanted the job. And so they gave it to the new kid. They gave it to the new guy. And so he circled the wagons with some of the residents there, the prisoners, and they came up with an idea to invite, it's 1955, to invite children from the Perry County Children's Home in New Lexington, the orphanage, to come over and be the audience and got permission. And then the children would turn around and sing to all the residents and guards there. My dad said, that's great. Now let's do something else for the kids. He got my aunt and they went over to Lancaster, Ohio and bought old doll babies and other toys for boys and doll babies for girls. And they had the men of the prison make little dresses, get this, for the doll babies to give to the orphan girls. This is a surreal picture, isn't it? It could be a movie in some ways when I think back. Here we have a young single boy trying to figure out life 
and purpose. Directing a group of some pretty hardcore guys in prison with no musical talent, singing about the love of God in Christ to a group of Appalachian poor children with no home or parents. That's a story of grace. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of Christmas. That's not the end of the story. The reason I tell you that is because, remember sometimes we say, we ask the question, my work, does it ever really make a difference? 60 years later, 60 years, this young Catholic boy's adult son, now a Methodist leader in Ohio. I'm serving as a district superintendent for Southeast Ohio. I was invited to come to New Lexington at Christmas 2015 to speak at this big event in their city. So I decided since I was back in that area to tell that story about my dad at the prison down the road at Christmas time. It was a good night and people were kind and walking out afterward the service. And a woman just kind of stayed back. She was in her late 60s. And I could tell she was emotional and she wanted to talk to me. She said, Reverend Miller, I'd like to have a few words with you. And then she just shared her heart. She said, I want you to know that I was one of those orphans at the prison that night. And the love that I received when I didn't feel loved and that doll baby made the difference in my life for many years after it. My friends, the manger comes with a mission. We never know what God is doing through us because it's not about us, you see. Jesus said, you are the light of the world, but we're a reflection of the love of God in Christ. We receive the light tonight, but we also pass the light. We receive the peace of Christ from the Prince of Peace, but we don't hold it all inside. What do we do with it? We share that peace, whether it be here, whether it be with teenagers in clubhouse, or whether it be on a little island miles and miles away in El Salvador. May it be so, Lord, that this won't be just another Christmas Eve. May it be the greatest night of our lives. Oh, Lord, thank you that we can come here just ordinary people in a weary world. We thank you, Lord, that our story tonight is not the end of the story. That in the middle of the darkness, a light shines. Shine on us tonight, Lord. May we know of your peace. May we know of your forgiveness. May we know that we're your child. And may we also then be that great ambassador for you. Help us, Lord, Gingsburg Church. Lord, we just want to be faithful to you, to your word and to your way. And so... Use us, Lord. Here we are to change the world one life at a time. For this we pray and believe. In Jesus' name, the Prince of Peace. Amen. 
I hope you enjoyed today's message. I've got two invitations for you before you go. First, subscribe to our podcast so it shows up in your feed every week. And if today's message inspired you and you'd like more people to hear it, you can give a financial gift through the Ginghamsburg app or online at ginghamsburg.org.